Hey, what is up, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spade Podcast, hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spade. And on today's episode, we touch on all things reverse dieting. Literally, who should do it? Uh, when should you do it? Um, how to properly reverse, including like when to make increments, how to read your biofeedback markers, and every single question. Honestly, I think there was like 15 questions I had that Brandon... Um, actually answered uh yes i am with guest um returning guest brandon de cruz so this episode literally if you want to learn everything about reverse dieting this is the episode you're going to want to get your notepad out and be prepared to just take a ton of notes on this it's going to help coaches going to help clients it's going to help you so before we even get to that as you guys know the podcast has teamed up with morphogen nutrition to give you guys the best supplements in the industry. Use code SPADA for 10% off all supplements at Morphogen Nutrition. Um, highly recommend them. I mean, I teamed up with them for a reason. All my clients use them. Uh, I use them. So why wouldn't you want to use them? Uh, remember, code SPADA for 10% off. And Symbiote Strength is accepting all clients. Application is in the show notes. Or you could just DM me at SPADA Fitness on Instagram. So if you want to join the team come on let's let's get your goals started let's get you started towards your journey today and i'm not going to waste any more of your time because i want you guys to get into this so let's welcome on brandon de cruz and let's touch on everything reverse dieting man we are back i am here with another guest that i've had on it feels like we're i actually just said this to him feels like we recorded literally a few weeks ago and I mean, the episode did just drop a few weeks ago, so it's not kind of surprising. Um, but I'm with my man, Brandon DeCruz. Uh, last time we went over uh, metabolic adaptations, uh, which was one of the most popular episodes uh, to come out so far. Um, a lot of people like to learn. So we're giving you it again, guys, for uh, another part two of not metabolic adaptations, but we're going to go right into reverse dieting. And we might not even, this might only be part one. We might need to record a part <laughs> two because there's a lot, a lot of topics going into this one. So before we even get started, uh, how you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, good to be back on with you. It does feel like it was just yesterday, but also like time passes by so quickly, especially yeah. in today's uh, day and age that, you know, a month or two goes by like a blink of an eye. Yeah. Especially being in quarantine. It's like every day is like the same and the routine is all the same, but it's good to have routine, especially coming into this new year, guys. If you don't have a routine, you need to get one. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, reverse dieting. Let's even start off with kind of, I guess we'll start off from metabolic adaptations. Metabolic adaptations are the cause to start reverse dieting, correct? Yeah, so metabolic adaptations, I, you guys, first and foremost, I suggest you guys go back into and listen to that episode. We have an hour of great content regarding metabolic adaptation and essentially the process of adaptive thermogenesis that takes place during a diet. Uh, it's a really all-encompassing episode and there's a lot of information, so I'm not going to recap that yeah. and uh, waste anyone's time, both Anthony's and myself or anyone else that listens to the episode, but essentially... When we have completed a period of restrictive dieting and extended calorie deficit, we're in a position where our body is predisposed to regain a necessary amount of body fat as a way of regaining homeostasis, energy, reproductive function, and overall well-being. And a lot of people don't realize that. We are in a higher 
you know, a lot of times we'll finish a diet and people will say, oh, you know, I'm going to go into a rebound, you know, and I'm going to rebound and I'm going to gain all this, um, you know, muscle mass. When in reality, if we look at the studies, it, you're actually at a higher predisposition to regain fat. And the reason for that is your body is in a survival state, which is induced by metabolic adaptation. So the issue that we're going to be going over and why reverse dieting is so crucial is because often dieters go from like one extreme to another. So they've gotten very lean as a result of, you know, a successful diet where they brought calories lower and lower. And then all of a sudden they go with this slingshot approach and they go to this excess of calories, uh, which results in excessive fat gain. So obviously everyone finishes a diet and they want to alleviate themselves of the strictness of a diet, um, you know, and essentially ease off the gas. But in reality, this is a time period to focus on recovery. So instead of overindulging once the diet is over, you know, you need to really set yourself up with a plan of action. And a lot of times we'll look at statistics, we'll look at research, and a lot of research indicates that 95% of diets fail. And I always have a problem with that because in the research, it does state that. But really what we have as a society, we don't have a problem with dieting. Dieting is successful. Seven out of eight people will lose weight over their lifetime. However, 95% of them won't maintain that weight loss. So really we need to rephrase the way that we position this or that we state this in our society and say that it's not 95% of diets that fail. It's we fail in the, in the, you know, process of maintaining weight loss and then transitioning out of a fat loss diet. And that's why reverse dieting is so important. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize this when you, uh, I'm currently reading cortisol connection right now. Um, so I've been getting really into this and a lot of people don't realize a really restrictive diet is actually a form of stress. Because you're yeah. always thinking about food, you're always thinking about what's next. Your body doesn't know it. Your body's just in a survival state, like you said, and it, it is through like things like cortisol. You're gonna have elevated cortisol levels, which in turn it has shown you gain abdominal fat on you. Like it's just shown Absolutely. to increase your appetite, and when you increase your appetite, you increase the possibility of maybe a binging episode, and with that comes fat gain. Um, so it's very important to take the reverse diet as seriously, like you called it recovery, because you're not only recovering from the extreme restrictiveness of the diet, you're recovering from the stress that it's causing and trying to get your hormones in check when it comes down to it. Absolutely. We should really look at it as a physical and physiological or physiological and psychological restoration period, because like you said, say cortisol, is, let's look at one entity of metabolic adaptation. So cortisol increases and testosterone decreases during, you know, metabolic adaptation that's induced during dieting. So you're skewing these anabolic to catabolic signals. Now with that, not only does cortisol cause a predisposition for fat regain, but it also lowers insulin sensitivity because when cortisol elevates, we liberate blood sugar. So cortisol was a response. It's a fight or flight response. So it's essentially, you know, a direct result of being in a sympathetic state. So with that, ancestrally, when we got a cortisol response or a stress response, it was because we were being chased by an animal or something. And our body needed to liberate, you know, stored energy through blood sugar so that we had enough energy for activity. So in, in ancestral days, you know, back in the day, stress used to be coupled with activity. So we would mobilize energy through blood sugar, it'd be liberated into our, our blood, and we would utilize that. So it would be burned off and it would lower our cortisol levels or our stress response. Yep. But now we get a stressful email, you know, or we get <laughs> yeah. bad news on the phone and we're sitting there at a desk and we have this liberated blood sugar. So we're inducing, you know, another response of insulin and we're staying in this chronically highly elevated, you know, insulin state 
which is lowering our body's ability to burn fat, but we're not doing anything with that energy. So we're essentially you know, jacking up cortisol, jacking up insulin, lowering testosterone. There's so many other hormonal, mental, and physiological um, aspects that dieting down regulates. So like you said, dieting is a stressor and it's not something to be avoided. So I don't want people to take this. I know a lot of times when I do speak on metabolic adaptation, um, people will say, well, that's a negative thing. Maybe I should avoid it. No, your body's trying to preserve itself. It's a survival mechanism. If we didn't have it, we would starve to death. And luckily yeah. we don't do that because we have certain systems in place where our body is frugal with energy. So when it notices that we don't have enough, it tries to downregulate things to conserve energy. So it is a good thing. But at the same time, we need to realize that a diet is not something that should be a lifelong thing. It should be um, a period of time where we lower calories, we increase energy expenditure for an elicited goal. So we want to get a fat loss goal or a body composition goal, or you want to be you know, fit for your wedding, or you want to get on stage. And then from there, we need to have a transitionary period and look at everything through the context of a yearly you know, periodization program. So we have nutritional periodization, we have a fat loss phase into a reverse diet, and then maybe into a maintenance phase or a, a gaining phase. And we look at things as seasons of a year rather than just this chronically extended period of time. And that's where I find a lot of people, you know, they don't even know what reverse dieting is because they've always just either chronically dieted or went through this binge restrict cycle, which doesn't allow them to get the best results out of either. Yeah. And one question I have for you is, um, why should people reverse diet? You always talk about, oh, let's just, at least you hear from a lot of common bodybuilders. You discussed this already, which is, oh, I'm going to get that rebound effect. A lot of the popular bodybuilders in this industry always talk about that. And there's a lot of different things that go into that, especially like whether you're male or female, whether you're on, whether you're on PEDs or you're not on PEDs, there's a lot of big differences that go into this. And they always talk about, oh, I gained like 40 pounds and people now have that connotation that, oh, I should be doing that. And but then they go into the thing where they're like, oh, I'm, I got edema from doing that. And people don't listen to that part. They listen to the part where, oh, I put back on 40 pounds thinking that they're getting right into their bulk season. So why should people actually take the time to reverse out of something, especially like a prep um, for competitors? I think this is a really important phase of it. Absolutely. So before I, I get to that, I'm definitely going to hit on that topic, but I want to just explain to give just a a basic definition of what yep. reverse dieting is. Cause a lot of people hear this term of reverse dieting. And I'll tell you from my own experience as a coach, I've come to a lot of, or I've had a lot of clients come to me and I've realized based on, you know, certain indicators, certain biofeedback, whether it be in just discussions with them or in my client intake form, that this person is in dire straits or in dire need of reverse diet. And when I bring up the topic before I define it for them, they have this misguided viewpoint of what a reverse diet is. And from first glance, I understand where they're coming from. They hear reverse diet and they think, I've spent all this time in a deficit with this goal. And every week I'm making progress and I'm seeing fat loss and I'm getting these great results. A reverse diet must be the exact opposite. I must be regaining fat. Or I must be going the opposite direction of my goal. And that's really not what it is. So I want to change the mental context to what a reverse diet is. So plain and simple, a reverse diet is the diet after the diet. Um, it's essentially the process of reversing or transitioning out of a dieting phase. And we do this, you know, it's a method of adding feedback in at a gradual yet controlled rate following the end of a dieting phase in order to reverse these metabolic adaptations that we just spoke about. And this approach signals to both our brain and hormonal systems that there is more energy available in the system and thus a lower need for the down regulations that have made us so efficient at conserving calories like we were speaking about. 
And this is a great approach that you can transition, you can use to transition from a fat loss phase to a maintenance phase or a growth phase. And it allows us to go from one phase to another and potentiate the results that we would get from that phase. So people have to realize that this is not a negative thing to be avoided. It's something that you should use in your yearly plan. Um, and then, like you said, you asked, why should we use a reverse diet? Uh, well, there's a variety of reasons. And there's, we have to realize that there's so much context that has to be taken into consideration when reverse dieting. First and foremost, it's used to reduce diet, uh, dietary fatigue and then also to find our new maintenance level of calories where you'll be able to stay leaner on a higher amount of calories than you were able to previously when you were in a fat loss state and in a deficit. So with that, we have to realize that our maintenance levels are essentially, you know, our maintenance calorie intake is a moving target. So the issue is a lot of people that don't take a reverse dieting approach will go hypothetically, let's say your maintenance, Anthony, was 3,000 calories, but at the end of the diet, you were at 2,000 calories. If you were to go right back to 3,000 calories, assuming that that's still your maintenance level of intake, you'd be in a, a pretty steep surplus. So yep. you would be gaining back fat immediately. So it's really important to note that just like we adapt metabolically on the way down during a diet, many people adapt on the way up, which causes their energy expenditure to increase as calories go up, which is why people say when they reverse diet and they've had a good experience, they say, I've been able to stay leaner for longer on a larger intake of food. Well, it's because our metabolism is essentially upregulating, just like it downregulated on the way down. Yeah. And there's and many when, benefits that, that come along with reverse dieting that we can go into. Yeah. And one thing I definitely see is, um, at least from the lifestyle side, not even the competitive side, um, with some of my clients is they are very much under eating. I think a lot of people under consume a lot of calories and they don't realize their body needs more. And by actually giving them more, this is kind of where we touched on last week with the metabolic adaptations, but people who have been consistently dieting, um, you're feeding them more and they actually go down because they lose that diet fatigue. So it's not uncommon to actually see people when you start to reverse diet, if they either stay the same weight or they actually drop a few pounds because that whole diet fatigue is lost and then like water levels go down and it's just like their physique completely changes. It's why it's why people look insane like two days after a show or like a week after a show. They're like, the like, why couldn't I look like this on show day? I'm like, there's a lot of factors that go into that. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, dissipate, dissipation of cortisol, of stress. Uh, lowered water retention that is usually induced from highly elevated cortisol levels. So there's so many reasons. And we're going to go into that too. I, I definitely want to hit on, there's so many cases. A lot of times people think that um, it's reverse dieting is only needed for those that it's necessary for because they just completed a contest prep or a long diet. But like, we'll speak about who is a reverse diet appropriate for, and it is appropriate for so many more people than, than many assume necessary. Yeah. So let's go right into the, uh, the benefits because I've honestly, one thing is I've never actually prepped anybody for a show. That's like, okay. I mean, like I'm one year into coaching. It's like, it's really tough. I like to take people through long off seasons anyway, from at least from experience, but talking with other coaches or like, you should go into an off season. Don't just prep someone right away. So 100%. I got to learn people's bodies first. So um, kind of going to the, if, Oh yeah. You haven't prepped yourself just from an experience standpoint. So I've done 14 shows over the years. Yeah. And I've done over 100 photo shoots. So I'll tell you from a perspective of reverse dieting, when I first got into this, I was initially just doing photo shoots as a fitness model about 10 years ago. There was no such thing as a reverse diet. Yeah. No one knew that term. Um, I believe that became prevalent around 2012 was 3DMJ and Lane Norton started speaking about it, but it wasn't too prevalent at the time. There was no research behind it. So we essentially just did our own thing. We followed 
whether it be, you know, just a reversal of exactly, you know, the exact way we came down, we went back up. So it was very like set and it was very strategic in terms of, all right, well, I reduced off, you know, hundred calories a week. So now I'm going to go up hundred calories a week. Now we do it completely different. And we'll speak about the ways in which you should set up a reverse diet and how important biofeedback is, but there's so many benefits to reverse dieting. And it really comes from, you'll, you'll learn as you put yourself in a, a deep deficit and go into a fat loss phase that once you've been there, you realize why this is so essential because we all have, and I'll tell you from my own personal pr perspective, I've had diets where I've, you know, completed the diet years ago and I went right back into eating my maintenance level of calories. And I'm wondering why am I gaining all this fat? I was just shredded last week. You know, it's yeah. frustrating. You don't understand the system. So it's, it's so great that there's podcasts like yourself and there's individuals that have taken the time to research these things, both, you know, clinically, but also with their, you know, clinically in a lab, but also with, you know, case studies with their clients and they've seen the benefits. And now they, you know, for people like myself, we, you know, promote the benefits and the reasons why you should do it. And you should take a strategic approach because we all know that the best way to an end goal is to have a strategy. So I think the biggest issue that people have, especially in dieting, is they don't have an exit strategy. So this is what reverse dieting provides you with. And um, so I'm going to go through like three of the main benefits that I found yeah. in my own experience and even through the research uh, of what reverse dieting provides us with and why you guys should do it. Uh, first, you're going to recover physically. So whether it's you're in a prep or you're in a harsh caloric deficit, either way, you're going to generally you know tax every system in your body as well as your ability to recover physically. So most dieters will notice physical side effects from dieting, such as like a diminished recovery capacity between training sessions, a decrease in sleep quality, a substantial drop in energy, which, you know, usually results in, you know, neat or sporadic activity, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis dropping, among many other effects. So this is why a reverse diet is needed to be implemented in order to regain homeostasis so you can begin feeling and performing normally again following the end of a diet. So a lot of times people will notice that during a reverse dieting phase, they'll start being able to train with more intensity. They'll feel better. Their movement will sporadically pick up. And we'll talk about hyper responders later, but that's generally the reason why. Because calories in, calories out still work. So, you know, if someone was to say, you know, sometimes people will come to you and they'll say, I'm not losing weight on this amount of calories. Well, if you're not losing this amount of weight, besides hormonal issues, you're not at a deficit. And a lot of times people, you know, have this misguided perception that they should eat more to lose more. Yeah. And that can work, but it's not because the calories in calories out equation doesn't work. It's because your exercise activity thermogenesis and your non-exercise activity thermogenesis are being upregulated because you are eating more and you have more energy in the system to provide you with a fuel substrate to do more activity. Yeah. So then, you automatically besides recovering physically. Yeah. To kind of just chime in there. Like I, like I noticed right away with my clients, once you up the calories, they're at like 7,000 steps, you automatically up them, maybe like 25 carbs, like, We'll go into our protocols for how we do this, but I might up by 25 carbs. I'll see them hit like 10,000 steps, like all, like every single day. It's like crazy. And like it's how, inadvertent. how much it's not even purposely. it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're like, what's oh, amazing crap. is a lot of times. Yeah. What's amazing is a lot of times it won't even be purposely done. You'll just notice that you're more, you know, during a diet you'll, you'll notice. And sometimes what's the real issue with me and why it's, it's so important to pay attention is there's so many aspects of meat, whether it be from the way you, you're hand gesturing during speaking, you're fidgeting, you're blinking. These are th certain things that get down regulated and that do, you know, come into the total daily energy expenditure calculation that we don't realize and we don't pay attention to. So a lot of times we're doing things or we're not doing things more so during a diet because we have induced dietary fatigue that they're decreasing the amount of energy expenditure that we have. So we might not notice that we've stopped going out and mowing the lawn as often, or we're not 
cleaning our house as often. But then all of a sudden you get this little increase, this little bump in food during reverse diet. All of a sudden you start being more gas, more active. And now your energy expenditure is going up, your needs going up, your steps are going up without you even purposely forcing yourself. So like you said, you had clients that were at 7,000 steps per day. And I'm sure at that point they thought they were dragging themselves to get that 7,000 calories. Yeah, yeah 7,000 steps a day. But then you give them, you know, a couple of extra hundred calories and all of a sudden 10,000 calories, you know, they're doing it and not even thinking twice. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see, especially in a person like, they're like, especially when you look at like their check-in sheet, they're like, all this energy came out of nowhere. I'm like, no, I gave you extra calories, which took away your diet fatigue is energy. You had, and then now you're outputting more. So, and then the weight just drops. So it's like, it's, it's all good when it comes out to it. Absolutely. So then in addition to recovering physically, we need to recover psychologically. And this is an aspect many people overlook, especially in the dietary industry, because we look at things so you know, quantitatively. So through numbers, so we're looking at scale weight and we're looking at ounces of food on, a, you know, um, on our food scales. And we're looking at all these numbers, but we forget to, you know, include the person themselves. And this is why it's so important to have a good, you know, coach to client relationship. So following a restricted diet for a prolonged period of time can result in many effects to one's mentality, especially like their relationship with food and their food focus. And then also their viewpoint on their body image and their body weight. So during a diet, we're encouraged to measure and quantify every metric from the exact amount of ounces of the foods we eat to our body weight and even our body fat percentage in certain people. And although this is a great way to track progress during the process of a diet, some of these be behaviors and habits can easily lead to unhealthy behaviors if they become an individual's main focus post-diet. And this is why it's so important to, during a reverse dieting phase, to aim at making progress through other metrics. So that's where I really focus on improving performance um, as being like a main metric of tracking progress rather than just scale weight, because as we'll speak about later, you will see increases on the scale and that's due to increased glycogen stores that come with water. That's increased, you know, due to increased food volume. So more food within your stomach cavity and things of that sort. So we need to stop focusing just on the scale and these quantitative measures and start focusing on the qualitative measures. Like I'm less hungry. I have less food focused. I'm not obsessed with my meals. I'm not counting down the minutes in between each meal. So those are things that, you know, you need to recover physically. That's something that most people know they need to do because they feel it. But a lot of times we disregard the psychological aspect. And I really think the best fat loss phases or even anything to do with nutrition, with training, if you can pair the physiological with the psychological, you're going to get the best results because you're, you're not discounting any, any area that's important. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when it comes down to it, a lot of coaches actually well, they should be looking at biofeedback, number one. If you're not looking at biofeedback, you're not doing your job as a coach. Uh, but number two, um, one thing that uh, I always track, whether it's, I think the biggest thing I track in the off season is gym performance. Um, that's kind of the driver of everything. So kind of, even though the reverse diet is a separate, it's a kind of inner, it's a kind of interface between your dieting phase and your off season is gym performance will determine kind of, how fast we go up and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people, I think gym performance is a very underrated uh, thing to look at when it comes down to clients. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And especially post diet, because we can't just be thinking about now during reverse diet, a lot of times people will look better, but we want to make sure that this is a long-term and sustainable way of approaching nutrition, approaching our training and approaching progress progression throughout the course of a year. So we can't just become obsessed with the scale or we can't just become obsessed with the photos and the cosmetic aspect of our physique. We also have to other, have other parameters in place 
such as you know PRs in the gym or execution or, or training performance or how we feel to also encompass what progress really is because it can't just be one-sided because a lot of people once they stop seeing this week you know there's so many people that get caught up in like the the rat race or the uh, mousetrap of of dieting because they see weekly progress but all of a sudden when they go through a reverse diet or they go through a gaining phase and they're not seeing those weekly you know betterments in their look or in the scale where they're not seeing these you know little they're not getting these little hits of dopamine you know from essentially from seeing progress they get discouraged and they lose sight of the pro, you know the process itself and they kind of get disheartened and that's why we have a lot of people that don't do this over you know, a prolonged period of time yeah and now i guess on those type of people um who who is the best suited for it because you know one one thing that i see is at least the most people who talk about reverse dieting is never actually one people that never talk about it i feel like is more of the male competitors they do but i feel like it's actually more the female side where it's been more prevalent to discuss kind of their stories with reverse dieting on instagram and on facebook so um, who is best suited for it? Yeah, it's not gender specific whatsoever. That's not what I was getting at, but I'm saying it is more prevalent in, in, on, uh, social media that the female side is usually kind of more important a little bit, but, uh, who is best suited for it? Yeah. So just to hit on what you just said with that, I think that's, it's more prevalent. You see females that will really focus on the reverse dieting phase and it's for a multitude of reasons, but especially because the reverse dieting kind of came in that same sector of time within this industry that metabolic damage was very prevalent. So metabolic damage was the, the concept essentially that your, your body could become downregulated to the point that it was damaged and that your metabolism would be downregulated permanently. And a lot of times, you know, kind of, you know, Lane Norton had kind of come out with that term and then he was one that really pushed forward the reverse diet. And that became more marketed towards women because it was mostly like bikini competitors and, and figure competitors that were suffering from you know, metabolic damage, which we now has, it's been debunked. There is no permanent metabolic adaptations as long as you get yourself back to a maintenance level of calories. But honestly, reverse dieting is appropriate and is suited for everyone. So yep. this is for someone, you know, someone who's been in a dieting phase for an extended period of time. This is definitely for contest prep competitors. And then um, it's for other individuals that might not realize it. So, you know, it's for someone who's been under eating for a significant period of time, whether they realize it or not. So sometimes it's not done intentionally. And this is what I was hitting on a little bit earlier is a lot of times I'll have gen pop clients come to me and they've never tracked their food. They've never, you know, weighed their food. They've never tracked their food. They don't know how to track macros. So we go through that initial process of teaching them how to track their food and essentially what, you know, what each amount of food looks like. Let's start breaking down proteins, fats, and carbs. Let's start looking at your micronutrient values. And these people are not only deficient from a calorie perspective and a macronutrient perspective. So a lot of times, you know, I'll have an average gen pop woman who comes to me and she's eating 40 grams of protein per day. So she's massively deficient in nitrogen or in protein. And then also her micronutrient status is completely off. So she's only eating egg whites. So she's developed a biotin deficiency. She has no healthy fats in her diet. She has very little carbohydrates in her diet. So you know, reverse dieting is perfect from taking that person that's actually in a deficit, but unintentionally, and then essentially increasing their food and then thus increasing their energy and they're able to lose fat in the process. And then the last case that I really see reverse dieting being extremely beneficial for is that individual. And we all know this type of person or this client who has gotten to the point where their calories are so low that, you know, have gotten like so low on calories, but their fat loss has stalled. And the approach they need to take to lose any more body fat would be both unsustainable and extreme, which is why we would use a reverse diet to reset them, to get them to a better homeostatic point, 
a bigger calorie allotment, build up their metabolic capacity. And then if their goal is to continue losing body fat, then we could go back into the process after a period of maintenance. Yeah. I always, I always give myself a rule, especially with gem pop clients. I try to never go below like a certain amount of calories because mm -hmm. at that point, at least for a gem pop client, it's not worth it whatsoever. Um, I think when it comes down to competitors, there's, there's a whole different situation. That's a whole different situation where things might be necessary to have to do, but I mean, you should also be building up that capacity in the off season previously to not have to go down that low, but that's another discussion, which, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's a, there's a limit for, at least for myself. I don't know if you have one, but there's a limit for myself that I take someone before I say no. A hundred percent. So when it comes to a gen pop client, I'm not going to say I have a certain parameter. Uh, generally, if I see someone and they come to me, this would not mean me doing this to themselves, but if I have someone who comes to me and they're eating 10 to 12 calories per pound of body weight and safe stop losing fat, it, it's time for us to reverse diet them, build back up their metabolic capacity. And then we're going to go into a maintenance phase, reestablish you know, a higher maintenance calorie threshold where they're able to maintain their body weight and their body fat percentage at this new increased maintenance level. And then after a sustained period of time where we really ingrain better habits, whether it be both through their lifestyle, their stress mitigation, their nutritional choices, their training, then we could go back into a dieting phase. But when it comes to a competitor, I'm going to tell you honestly, I, I, I've coached a lot of pros. I've competed a lot of times over the years. All bets are off. And this doesn't mean we, dis we, we disregard health, but I will say that there are times that it doesn't make sense on paper what we're having to do from a caloric standpoint, but it's, it's what's necessary to get the job done. And we really need to distinguish that for, you know, your, your house mom, who's a gen pop client, who just wants to look summer lean, just look better, feel better about herself. There's no reasons to get to the extremes of yeah. low body fat percentage. Or for your type A businessman that comes to you and he just wants to look good on the beach with his kids or be more active and be able to, you know, take his kids to the park and play with them. There's no reason to go to those extremes. And that's where that their calories have gotten so low that it's, it's going to get them to a point where they're going to have to go through extremes, which are going to only induce more metabolic adaptation, more hormonal disruption, more irregularities in their day-to-day -day, you know, functionality that aren't worth it. But when it comes to a competitor, our main function or our main purpose is to get to stage and no judge you know, behind that panel cares how you feel. It's how you look. So that's a completely different thing. And that's why it's really important to specify, hey, listen, this is going to be our lower threshold, you know. For my gen pop clients, it might be seven to 10% body fat for males. But for my competitors, I've had guys dexed at 3.8. So it's, yeah. it's a huge difference. And we really have to distinguish and, um, you know, differentiate between the two. Yeah. And what if someone isn't sure if they should reverse diet? I know we said they're eating a low. A lot of people are really restricted on their diet. That's when you really should come back up and do a reverse diet. Um, but what are the signs kind of that, people like regular gen pop clients could take away uh, that it might be time for them to actually reverse diet. Yeah. So this is something I really like to hit on because like I, I touched on earlier, sometimes I'll bring up the topic of reverse dieting to a gen pop client or to a client in general, and they're not used to that approach or they're not familiar with it, or they've never done it and they're hesitant. So that's where I'm never going to force someone to do something. I'm going to advise them to do what I think is best based on their biofeedback, especially based on their blood work and things that I'm seeing, but I'm also going to convince them in other manners. So that's where I'm going to start asking questions. And this is what I'm going to propose to you. If you guys see these, these signs, so if you see you have massive sleep disruptions during a deficit, so you have an inability to get restful sleep or stay asleep 
uh, due to like either hunger or you're getting these cortisol levels, you feel like you got this adrenaline dump and you kind of wake up in this like anxious state. That's one sign. Uh, if you have mood disturbances out of the blue, you've been in the deficit and all of a sudden that your mood is being, you know, off or your motivation levels have dropped. Um, other things include like intolerable hunger levels. So if you're always focused on food, you're always hungry. Um, if you have an inability to recover from training adequately, you're overly sore now that you've been in a deficit. Um, if you notice that you have quality of life is altered or lowered, uh, that's another sign. A huge sign is hormonal issues. And a lot of people, you know, this needs to be looked at in blood work. But I always propose this. Sometimes I'll ask a client, hey, do you think you have any hormonal issues? And they'll always say, oh, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, then I'll start digging in deeper. I want to get beneath the surface. So I'll say, all right, well, how's your libido? Oh, my libido's shot. I haven't been able to, you know, I haven't been aroused by my wife in weeks. All right. Well, that's a, that's a sign that, you know, you're suffering from low testosterone. So that's one issue. If I ask a, a female gen pop client, when's the last time you got your cycle? And it's been months. The stop of menstruation is a, is a survival response that your body doesn't have enough energy, doesn't have enough calories to conceive. So that's a hormonal issue. Or I have a lot of times, you know, a woman or even men will come to me and say they're always cold during a diet. That's, that's a pure sign that you have thyroid issues. So you're not converting T4 to metabolically active T3. So those are all signs that you guys can pick up on and think, am I suffering from these? And if you have a few on those lists, you know, then you know, objectively, hey, I might need to reverse diet. I need to look into this. And then the other one that's a little bit more objective is if your calories have gotten to like this unsustained, you know, unsustainable level, which you think is extreme to maintain. So if you notice that you're having to constantly lower and lower and lower your calories to the point that you feel like you're starving all the time, you're most likely in a state where your body has stalled out, you're suffering from metabolic adaptation, and you would have to go through extremes that you might not be willing to do in order to see any more fat loss. So a lot of times I see people get stuck in this hamster wheel where they'll stay at that really chronically low level where they're still able to moderately sustain it. Like they're holding on for dear life, but they know they can't get any lower. So they're just trying to, you know, hold on to that maintenance calorie level or that, that deficit for as long as possible to stay at that leanness. And what they don't realize is that by simply reverse dieting and increasing their energy, they're going to increase their energy expenditure. So they're going to be able to maintain most likely around that weight and around that body fat percentage with eating more calories. And they wouldn't have to stay at that unsustainable level. So they're going to increase their ability to sustain the diet and also to sustain the results. And this is extremely um, prevalent. And this is extremely applicable to gen pop clients because they usually haven't gotten to that low of a level. With competitors, I would never tell someone, hey, listen, we're going to reverse diet you and you're going to stay at 4% body fat and eating a lot more calories than you are you know, currently. That would be unrealistic. But for a gen pop client, if they're between 8 to 12% body fat, it's most likely that they don't have to stay at that very, very low, uncomfortable level of calories. We can reverse them and systematically and, and you know, methodically increase their calories and they can maintain that level of leanness. Yeah. I think that's why you always hear the well, I never thought I could look this way about eating so many calories. I feel like that's like the one thing I always get when people are eating so much food, um, especially when, like you said, like you get some female clients who only who come to you and they might only be eating like 40 grams of protein. Like when you get them, um, I actually just had one that just joined my team. Um, she was eating like 60 grams of protein. And so I had to get that up. I was like, that's a must. Um, and She's like, I never thought I'd feel this way eating this much food. And I'm like, that's not even a ton of food. I'm like, this is just the start. I was like, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going up and you're going to keep getting better and better. And your body, your body composition is going to change. And they're like, 
oh my God, they're like, how am I eating this much and looking this way? So that's like always the thing I see with people when it comes down to like that reverse diet phase too. Absolutely. No, I see the exact same thing. And in protein, especially thinking about, we have to look at all the components of, you know, total daily energy expenditure. And one of them is thermic effective food. And with protein being the highest thermic effect, a lot of times we can increase, you know, protein and it's going to have a negligible effect. If we look at the protein overfeeding research that's been done by Jose Antonio, and he's done multiple studies, people have consumed up to 800 calories more of their daily maintenance calories just from protein and not seen an appreciable amount of fat gain. So if you're, especially if you're insufficient in your protein intake, increasing it's not only going to increase your training performance and your recovery, but also your metabolic rate because you're going to be expending more calories just from the process of digestion. Yeah, that's at least from my standpoint, the way that I do things, I'm usually anywhere between depending on the person, depending on the gender, like I am always over, I am actually always over one gram per pound. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my thinking. Usually I'm actually typically around like 1.4. Uh, to 1.5. Um, I like to go on the higher side, especially for my males. Um, my females, I'm around like 1.1 to 1.3. Um, so they're like, you sure? They always question you. are like, you sure you're supposed to eat this much protein? I'm like, there's nothing bad about having too much protein. There's bads to having too much fat and too much carbs. So I'd rather just actually increase the protein because I know it's a safer bet to, to kind of know how to change the body rather than just placing my whiz, my wisdom on carbs and fats. (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, so now let's get into the reverse diet. Let's say I am someone who got down to, let's say that 8%, I'm just a gem pop client. Um, what should we, there's going to be two questions here that I kind of want to ask too, because this is kind of important, but the first one is what should I consider at the beginning of the reverse diet. Okay, so to hit on that, there's a lot of factors that we need to take into consideration before beginning a reverse diet. First, we have to look at the length of the previous diet. So how long were you in a deficit for? Not only how long were you in a deficit for, but how aggressive and how deep of a deficit were you in? So were you just you know, a general pop client that went from 12% body fat to 8%, or were you someone that went from 25% to 8%? You know, it's, it's much different. We have to, it's very individual. We have to look at hormonal status post-diet, um, which would be indicated on blood work. So anytime clients come to me and I feel like they need to go into a reverse dieting phase, generally anytime someone comes to me, I'm looking for blood work. I, I want to see what's going on under the hood. Biofeedback is great, but really labs indicate a lot of things that people wouldn't be able to express to you. Yep. Another thing we want to look at is stress levels. So what's their daily lifestyle like? We have to take that into consideration because that does play in to their daily energy expenditure. Um, Another thing we want to look at is health markers. So me, I'm look, personally looking at resting heart rate. That's a big indicator for, you know, their autonomic nervous system balance. Are they highly sympathetic or are they balanced out with the parasympathetic? I'm looking at their ability to adhere to the diet. So if someone comes to me and they tell me, you know, I want to continue losing fat, but I'm at 1,200 calories. Say a woman, you know, I want to continue losing fat, but I'm at 1,200 calories and I'm having a really hard time. I'm having all these cravings and it's really hard for me to, you know, sustain this diet. And I do have the propensity to binge eat you know, I'll go into, I'll I'll be good for a week and then I'll go into a day binge. You know, that's showing that there's an inability to adhere to the diet. Then also there's other things that we want to look at in terms of what are their goals post-diet? So does that person want to maintain, you know, their their current body fat percentage? So if you're at 8% and you tell me, hey, Brandon, I want to maintain this level of body fat, but I want it in a more sustainable way. So that would be one reverse diet approach. If you tell me you want to gain muscle, then that's another diet approach. 
you know, if you tell me that I want to maintain this for a little bit, but I want to go and get down to 5% body fat, that's a different approach in and of itself. And then we also have to look at the person's mindset. So I'm always looking at, you know, the, the mental framework um, of setting up a reverse diet because you need to meet someone where they are. So you could have the best plan in the world, but if that person can't be consistent adhering to that, it's not the perfect plan for them. Yep. So we really have to, like, I, I'm always going back to, we have to consider the person's psychology and the rate and the speed in which we would take to a reverse diet is very heavily dependent on that person's mindset after finishing the diet. Yeah. And that's what I was actually about to touch on was um, looking at the mindset because I actually had a thing where, what is it? I, I did a mini, and this was even just a mini cut. I did a mini cut with my last, my last coach and I got down and like all the biofeedback markers now looking back at it, I was like, I was ready to get out of that before um, it was needed to be done because I also didn't have as enough muscle in my body to sustain where I was at. Um, and kind of the mentality is really the mentality to kind of be quite frank is really what fucks you in the diet. Um, it's either yeah. you can get the job done or you don't, at least for competitors. That's kind of the thing. It's kind of, you have to fight through that and you kind of have to deal with it or, or you don't, and you don't make it to stage. Um, but what's kind of the mental frameworks that you use, um, that you just touched on to kind of, before you put them into, before you put them into a reverse. So the first mental component that I think someone has to take into consideration before setting up a reverse diet is you need to plan to reverse the diet before you actually reach your end goal. So we always have to have an exit plan. And that's what I was hitting on earlier is we don't have a diet problem in our society. We have a maintenance diet problem. We have a transitionary problem. We always think about getting to the end goal, but we don't, we don't think past that end goal. So you really have to you know, think about during your diet, all right, I'm going to get to this point, I'm going to hit my goal, and then I'm going to, what's next? You always have to ask yourself, what's next? And when you don't do that, that's where you see people that, especially competitors, that they'll go on these post-show binges, they'll regain all this fat, and they need to go back into a deficit just to rid themselves of an unnecessary fat that they regain. So that's the first thing. You need to plan and be prepared to reverse diet before your diet ends. You need to have a plan in place, and that doesn't mean that you have to have all your macro calculations and your calorie calculations or your adjustments made in advance. It needs to, all I mean by that is you have to be in the mental state of mind to say, all right, well, I have a certain goal. It might take me eight to 12 weeks. Well, you get to that 12 week, end of the 12 week cut. And at that point, you know, all right, this is not the end. Yes, I've reached my goal, but it's not the end destination. I have another process to embark on. And this is what's called a reverse diet. Then the other thing that people need to realize, and this is something that I want to suggest this advice to everyone in all facets of, of nutrition training, nothing is set in stone. You need to realize that the amount of increases that you make will be heavily dependent on your individual response and your biofeedback. There's nothing I'm going to tell you on this podcast that's going to be 100% individualized for you because if that was the case, I would do group reverse diet coaching. I wouldn't do individual one-on-one. <laughs> -on -one. Um, and the thing is that it's all person specific. So you could read you know, a person's guide to reverse dieting on the internet. And that might be all well and good. That might provide you with a little, you know, a strategy, but you have to realize that you can't just take these, you know, quote unquote, you know, suggested um, increases and run with them and think that your body is going to respond as someone else's did. So the big issue when reverse dieting first came out was that people would say, well, just increase your carbs by 10 every week or just by 25 every week or just increase your calories by hundred every week. But how about if that puts someone in, you know, four weeks in, that puts someone at a massive surplus. 
They weren't that, that in that much of a deficit. And now they're in a surplus and they're regaining fat when their goal was to maintain their body fat. That's not right for that person. So we need to make sure and we need to realize that everything needs to be individualized. And that's with all aspects of nutrition. We all have different nutritional requirements. You know, there are certain things that are pretty objective, you know, protein amounts, you know, uh, you know, amount of protein per gram of body weight and things of that sort that the research has indicated. But you have to also, you have to combine what the research is saying in conjunction with what your body is telling you. Um, you also need to realize that a big part of reverse dieting successfully is tracking your progress and response by both objective and subjective metrics. So we'll go into that later. We'll go through everything that you need to be looking towards or paying attention to, to ensure that your reverse diet is successful. And then also you have to realize that a reverse diet starts by slowly adding calories to decrease the size of the deficit until you've reached maintenance. From there, we could slowly walk up calories into a surplus if gaining is your goal, or we could stay at maintenance for an extended period of time if you've gotten to a sustainable level of calories and are happy with your current body composition. But we have to realize that the goal is to get to maintenance and not to stay in a deficit. So a big mistake that people make or they make these very, very inconsequential increases and they keep themselves in a deficit and say they've been dieting for 12 to 16 weeks and now they've done a, a reverse diet for 12, 12 more weeks, say, but they've been in a deficit that whole time. You haven't recovered any of the physiological mechanisms that have been downregulated during the diet itself. So you have to realize that the real goal is to find your maintenance level of calories and build upon that, build your metabolic capacity because a lot of these you know, metabolic adaptations are only going to be reversed once you get to a maintenance level of calories. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a big one is a lot of people don't realize that you can still be keeping yourself in a deficit and not know because everything shows signs that it might be heading in the right direction, but that doesn't mean you're still there yet. Um, so I know you talked about, you just mentioned the approaches that you, that you, um, use and some are quicker than others. And some are a lot slower. Like you mentioned, someone may be reversing for like 12, 16 weeks where someone can probably, because some other people could probably reverse for eight to 10 weeks um, due to, they might need just a smaller deficit to get to stage or get in shape. Um, so why would someone actually take that kind of faster and quicker approach compared to the longer 12, maybe like 16 week reverse diet? Okay, so we have to keep in mind that the rate in which you would go at something, whether it be a fat loss phase or more specifically in this case, reverse diet is all goal dependent. So say you are someone that you come to me, your gen pop client, and you've gotten to right around your level of body fat that you are comfortable with. And you say, Brandon, you know, I'm at 8% body fat. I really like to maintain this for as long as possible. Then we're going to take a slower approach to reverse dieting. We're going to make smaller incremental increases. We're going to let your body catch up, let your biofeedback catch up, and also let your energy expenditure catch up to the amount of calorie increases we make. But on the other hand, that, that would be a slow reverse dieting approach, but there are quicker approaches and they're very person and context dependent. So if you're a competitor and you want to compete every single year, then we're going to have to get you out of that, that deficit quicker because we only have so much time to make progress. So really when you make a more you know drastic increase in food, this is an approach that's focused on regaining hormonal and metabolic function and places a larger emphasis on recovery. So it's not about as much of maintenance of low body fat percentage and leanness. It's more on your metabolic function and your recovery. So we have to look at how do we reverse metabolic adaptation? So the most effective way to reverse these while dieting is to increase food intake in a quick manner, uh, especially when it comes to one's hormonal health, like your testosterone, your estrogen, your leptin, and your ghrelin. 
because just like dietary fat plays an important role in hormonal health, so does actual body fat levels. So what we have to realize, like say leptin, leptin is one of the hormones, it's, it's essentially a satiation hormone that is downregulated during the course of a diet. There's two things that play main importance in leptin secretion. It's your carbohydrate intake, which is usually decreased during a diet, and then also your body fat levels because leptin is secreted from adipose or fat tissue. So if you don't regain a, a certain amount of body fat, if you're a 5%, you know, stage ready competitor, you can't expect to get your hormonal levels back into a good, healthy function if you're still at 5% body fat and you're taking a slow approach. So that's where you would need to regain a healthy level of body fat post diet to be able to restore your hormonal health quicker. So this is generally what we would uh, refer to as a recovery diet. So this, this was actually coined by the guys at 3DMJ. And it's a more uh, aggressive approach to increasing calories and gaining weight right out the gate. So what they do is they essentially take a larger increase in calories right from the end of a diet and they them more towards what they think is like uh, what their maintenance level of calories. Instead of walking yourself up to what your maintenance should be, they take more of a, a estimated guess just to increase that body fat percentage, that regain, and then to get you know training performance back online, hormonal status back online. But also with that approach comes an escalation of fat regain. So that's, this is not the approach that I would take for say my gen pop clients, but for someone that comes to me and says, Brandon, my goal is to compete year in and year out. And, you know, I'm, I'm finishing a season now. I want to do a two month reverse diet. And then I want to get back on stage, you know, after a six month off season, we need to get them back into a hormonally, um, you know, homeostatic place quicker than we would if we took a slower approach. Awesome. And then I think this is going to be the biggest part of, this is probably going to be the biggest section segment for people to take notes. Um, so get out your notebooks now while you can. Um, how I think a lot of people are very, now that they're got the knowledge from you on how to actually on what it is um, and what signs to look out for, how do people go about not even with a coach setting up a reverse diet for themselves? Okay. So first I want to start with the caveat. Like let's, let's remember that the type of approach we take and the speed at which we go and we make adjustments that is extremely person situation and goal dependent. Yep. So I want to put that out there. So these are just suggestions, but the whole goal of reverse diet, when we look at the mechanisms and the adjustments we make, we're essentially trying to pull down fatigue and stress and facilitate recovery of your metabolism, your hormones, and your overall stress management. And so this is going to be done by an increase in, in calorie intake and then a decrease in expenditure and activity. So how we would go and we would set up a reverse diet initially is once you finish the diet and begin your reverse, the first component is to find your new maintenance level of calories. Like I said previously, maintenance is a moving target. A lot of times people will look at these um, calorie calculators on the internet and they'll get their maintenance calories. And what we have to realize is that our total daily energy expenditure, you know, is re-regulated and is offset on a day-to-day -day basis. The amount of activity you do, the amount of uh, exertion you put yourself in the gym, the, the composition, if you're not eating, say you're following more of an if it fits your macros plan, or you undulate your calories, meaning you, you titrate up and down the amount of macronutrient composition that you use, or even the food sources, there's a different thermic effect of food. So our maintenance level of calories is, I look at it as a range. So I never tell someone, you know, a client, hey, you're, you're, Maintenance calories are 3,200. I say, I'm going to ballpark it. It's probably 32 to 34. We need to have this buffering room to realize that on some days it's going to be higher and some days it's going to be lower. And we need to account for that. So generally what I suggest you do in a reverse diet is you need to make a little bit heavier of, a, of an increase right off the bat. 
So it doesn't mean it's drastic or a huge increase, but generally I'll, I'll try to get someone 10% out of their deficit um, off the bat. And then from there, we monitor their, their weekly scale weight. So what we really wanna do is off the initial increase is we'll pay attention to their weekly average scale weight. And we do that rather than their daily numbers as there are so many factors and variables that play into your daily scale weight, especially during a reverse diet. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is you can't just trust one daily weigh-in. So a lot of times I'll tell my clients, especially in a reverse diet, I have all clients do this, but I make them do a weekly average scale weight. And you know they'll track it seven days and they'll, they'll give me their, their weekly average at the end of that week because there are fluctuations. It could have been from increased sodium intake. It could have been you know from increased carbohydrate intake, or you could have not had as many bowel movements one day or the other that throws off your weight. So if you're only tracking it one time a week, you're going to miss that weekly rate of gain that you're, that you're looking for. So once you found that your average weight, your average weekly scale weight is stable, you have a good idea of your maintenance level of calories. So that could come from one adjustment. I could make a 10% increase and that person could, could get right to weight stable within a week, or it could take several weeks. From there, once we find their, their new maintenance calorie threshold, which we have to keep in mind, they're now a lighter, leaner individual. So their maintenance calories are lower than they were previously. So for instance, if my maintenance calories are 3,000, but I ended my deficit at 2,000, my maintenance calories are not at 3,000 anymore. Yep. You know, they are substantially lower. So we have to work our way up. So generally what I'll look at is if it's 3,000 calories and I got down to 2,000, that's a reduction of 33%. So I'm going to generally, off the bat, from the first week of the reverse diet, go up about 10 to 15%. So I'm going to try to get in the middle of that. So right. I might go to 24, 2,500 calories. From there, if my weight is still either, sometimes my weight, you know, you'll see a client's weight drops or it stays right around the same range. We start titrating up little by little. And a lot of times you'll see that a client's weight stays stable, you know, week on and week out. And once it hits this stable level where you're say a pound above what your lowest scale weight was during the deficit itself, you say that's your new maintenance level of calories. So it could be 2,800 calories, but that could come for me at 15 pounds lighter than when I started the diet. So now I'm 200 calories away from my normal maintenance calories, but 15 pounds lighter. So that's a, a pretty good gauge. And then from there, we focus on making methodical adjustments and increasing things based off of biofeedback with each update to the diet. So there are three macros that we would look to increase um, at that point. However, most people are taking a sufficient amount of protein during a diet. Most yep. people will raise their protein. So what we're really looking to do is to increase calories based off of carb and fat intake. And there's many reasons why we would go with one or the other. Yeah. Um, and let's go into that. I mean... What, what adjustments do you make to the macros um, during, during it? Because I think a lot of people get confused. A lot of people always think, like you just mentioned, you do both carbs and fats. A lot of people always think, oh, we're just going to keep increasing carbs, increasing carbs, increasing carbs. When in reality, it's actually a mix of both because especially for fats, fats deal with a ton of hormonal function. And to get you back functioning perfectly on the inside, which... Like I have mentioned so many times to my clients, you have to focus on the internal first because the, the external will follow the internal. Um, so always getting up to high, well, not high, but a good amount of fats to stay very hormonally healthy. So what adjustments would you make during, during the reverse diet to these, to these two macros? Okay. So when it comes to macronutrient distribution and how we we essentially make adjustments after you know finishing a diet and during the reverse dieting phase, we first have to look at where the diet ended. So everything, context always needs to be taken into consideration. So from there, we look at if someone took a keto approach to a diet, 
then obviously they're deficient in carbohydrates. They have probably ample amount of fats and hopefully sufficient amount of protein. And from there, we would look to make increases in carbohydrates. Now, if I have a gen pop client come to me, and in the example that I was speaking with uh, previously, I've had many come to me between the, the realms of 40 and 60 grams of protein. My initial and my highest priority principle, so everything what I do with nutrition comes down to highest priority principle. At that point, I'm looking at what are we trying to do during reverse diet? Not only are we trying to help with hormonal adaptations, with metabolic adaptations and things of that sort, but I'm trying to get this person to train and recover sufficiently because recovery is one of the main emphasis and one of the main benefits of reverse dieting. So I need to increase their protein. So that's, that's the one case in which protein is going to be the first thing that I leverage off of that. But in the other event that the person has sufficient protein, I'm going to look at the macronutrient that they're most deficient in. Okay. So I'm going to look at if a person was following a higher carb, lower fat approach, and they're deficient in terms of essential fatty acid composition, I'm going to look to increase fat first. What I'm going to do with fat is I'm going to make sure that they have at least enough essential fatty acids to regulate hormonal status. So obviously we know fat, you know, uh, is, is very valuable in terms of hormonal secretion and making sure hormonal balance is, is met. And that's extremely important after finishing a deficit. So what I'm looking at in terms of fat is to make sure that they're at least at 0.3 grams per pound of power pound of body weight. So that's what the research has shown to be the lower threshold. From there, we would make increases in carbohydrates. But there's so many different various factors that we need to take into consideration when making adjustments. So it's not just about the calorie allotment, but when it comes to macronutrient allotment, we have to look at certain things. So not only the first thing off the bat is how low were each macronutrient. If someone was deficient in carbohydrates, they didn't have enough, or they had very, very little, let's increase carbs. If they were deficient in fat, let's increase fat. Now, we also have to look at the type of training program someone is following. If someone is a high volume trainer, they're a bodybuilding type, tra uh, type trainer, that's a glycolytic activity that requires glucose. So it's glucose intensive. We need to have enough fuel substrate to fuel that demand. So that's where we would look to increase carbohydrates first and foremost. So that would be in terms of macronutrient increases and adjustments during reverse diet, that would be our highest priority principle. If someone's more of a hit style trainer where they do more strength work, then we could look to increasing more fats and carbohydrates in conjunction with one another. The other thing is we have to remember the psychology, which a lot of people discount. Yep. So we have to think about where is the client's mindset at after a diet? especially when it comes to food. So a lot of times people are going to have cravings. And what we, well, a lot of people don't realize, if you look at the research into cravings, cravings are 100% psychological. They're not indicators that we are actually deficient in anything. So a lot of times people will say, you know, I'm craving peanut butter. I, may, I must be deficient in my fat. You're not. You know, it, it could be that you are. But what I'm saying is that craving is not an indicator that you are deficient in fat. Just like when women say that they crave chocolate during uh, when they're pregnant, well, in Africa, they didn't have chocolate 50 years ago. So if, if that was the case that you needed chocolate during preg pregnancy, you know, these people would be dying and not able to you know, reproduce. So we have to realize that there is a psychological component. And despite the fact that cravings don't indicate things are necessary, they are beneficial because what you, you know, paying attention to a client's psychology is going to increase their ability to adhere. And that's the biggest thing with a recovery diet or with a reverse diet rather, because a lot of times what people don't realize is that maintenance or reverse dieting is as difficult or more difficult than the diet itself. So we really have to pay attention to a client's preference. So that's where I'll go to a client and I'll say, are you someone that predominantly, you know, prefers carbs or you prefer fats? Once I've gotten to them to that maintenance threshold. So if someone was deficient in fats, maybe the first couple adjustments are coming predominantly from, from fat intake. I'm trying to get them to that 0.3 per, per gram per pound foot threshold. Now, once I've met that, then I can go to them and say, what is your preference? You know, you're training, you do moderate, you know, um, 
you know, moderate volume training. You don't really need that many carbs, but you also could benefit. Do you like carbohydrates? Yes, I love carbohydrates. I've been craving, you know, more rice or rice cakes, or I want to incorporate this, that, and the other into my diet. You know, I want more fruit. Okay, let's go with that. The other thing that I really like to do is, is look at someone's micronutrient status, which is something I would track in chronometer. So if I see that someone is deficient in potassium, then I'm going to look to increase, make increases during the reverse diet from things that are, you know, have a substantial amount of potassium. So that's where I might add, you know, they have 50 grams of carbohydrates that are going to increase this week. I'm going to add a sweet potato. I mean, things of that sort. So from there, once we've assessed the goals of the client, their hormonal status, um, also their digestion. Digestion is huge. So we have to realize that every person digests nutrients differently. So if someone is having digestive discomfort from a high level of carbohydrates, even though they might be low FODMAP carbohydrates, then we have to look to increase fat. So we the same thing with fats. If someone has low bile secretion and they have a very tough time digesting fats, then we're going to stick predominantly with increases coming from carbohydrates. So from there, we would use generally like three to five percent increases in each caloric intake every time you hit a new average weight. Awesome. And then we got two more. We got two more things before we wrap this up. Um, so you've made the. So you're thinking about making the adjustments. Um, a lot of people get into their head. Oh is it time to make this adjustment? Um, when should I make one? How do I make one? I mean, you just went into how you made one, but how, like the why behind it, what's the reasoning? So let's get into some of the, uh, the considerations behind actually making these adjustments. Okay. So there's a huge amount. I'm actually, I'm going to go into my, my coaching, um, programming. I'm going to pull up all the ones that I go over so I can be extremely specific with you guys because I don't want to overlook anything because this is extremely important, especially if you're doing this on your own. It's better to overanalyze things and, and have too many you know, metrics to track than not enough because that's the only way if you have enough metrics to track to ensure that you're going to do this successfully, that's how you're going to make sure you have a good experience and you get a good result from the reverse side itself. All right. So first and foremost, what I look at is biofeedback. So I look at biofeedback, I look at perceived recovery status. So that would come from training and also lifestyle. So even steps, like although steps are low level activity, if someone is doing so many steps per day or so much aerobic activity that's cutting into the recovery, that's something I have to know. I'm looking at hunger cues and appetite levels, especially as the reverse diet increases. So generally what we'll notice is that after a diet, your hunger signaling is skewed. Your ghrelin levels, which is your hunger hormone is increased. Your leptin levels are decreased. Well, as you increase carbohydrate consumption, you're going to start getting more leptin signaling. So it's going to inverse that, that disproportionate ratio. So you're going to start feeling more satiated. You're going to feel, stop feeling as full. But we want to manage hunger cues because hunger cues and appetite go hand in hand with digestion. So when you stop feeling as hungry and you start digesting less efficiently, you're not going to want as much of that food. So that's a lot of times you'll notice with, with clients that they'll come to you and they'll say, I don't know if I can keep eating this. So that's where we have to really look at that's the type of feedback that I would get that I would say, all right, I got to change out the food sources. We've been using, you know, one approach style I use to making adjustments, which is really getting into the nuances, but I'll use lower palatability foods. So palatability is essentially like the response you get from food. Yeah. And a lot of times people will look at, say like the hedonic reward of food. So that means a pleasure response that you get from food. If you were to use more processed foods during the beginning of your reverse diet, it would be hard to sustain the level of caloric intake that you have. Because hyperpalatable foods, those that are, you know, combined of sugar, uh, salts, fats, it's over, it's easy to overconsume. They cause a drive, they cause a, a release in dopamine to our bodies and to our brains, 
which cause, caused us to have less satiety from them. But generally, right off the bat, I'm increasing low satiety or low palatability foods. So that is fibrous vegetables. I'm increasing, you know, um, complex carbohydrates. So these are filling foods. But if we get to a level that this person has went from 2,000 calories to 3,000 calories, and we've increased 1,000 calories in the span of 10 weeks or 12 weeks, that 3,000 calories might get to the point where they stop losing their appetite, and now it's hard for them to eat. So that's where we have to start looking and making considerations to change and make adjustments to their plan. All right, we have to swap out this food source. That's where we would include like a processed food source to be able to keep their appetite on point. We have to look at energy levels. So how you're adjusting to the increases in food. How are you feeling? You know, there's certain points initially off the bat, you know, we'll, we'll talk about responses to, to reverse dieting, but there's a lot of people that feel an immediate sense of energy, whether it's psychological, just because they know they're eating more, or it's physiological because they have more energy substrate in the body. So they start upregulating activity, feel really energetic. But at a certain point, we have to remember that the body's like a seesaw, you know, it, it's in shape, it's an inverted U. So more can be better, but more can also not be better. So we can increase to a certain point where we get to our maximum threshold, which is where we're ideal. So we're at a certain, you know, I've gotten guys up to five, 600 grams of carbs and almost as lean as they were on stage, you know, but at a certain point they get to an intake where all of a sudden they went from having high energy from this increase in food to lethargia. So they're, they're starting to feel tired. They're starting to feel lethargic. They're starting to feel bloated. Um, another thing that I look at is blood glucose levels. So I'm trying to, especially when I make increases and large increases in carbohydrates, I want to see how their, their insulin sensitivity and nutrient partitioning is doing. So I'm monitoring that with both fasted blood glucose levels and then also, also postprandial. I'm looking at performance in the gym. So how is their performance increasing? You know, what is your strength like? What are your pumps like in the gym? You know, if you're partitioning nutrients properly and you're insulin sensitive, if you're taking in a large bolus of carbohydrates, you should be getting a good pump. But on the inverse of that, if you're taking in a good amount of carbohydrates and all of a sudden you're not getting pumps, you're not you know, feeling contractions in the gym, it could be an indicator that you're suffering from insulin resistance. Um, I'm also looking at mood. I'm looking at sleep quality. I'm looking at sexual function. So I'm asking my clients, how's your libido? Or I'm asking my female clients, has your menstrual cycle come back online? I've had, you know, I just recently had a couple of clients that hadn't had periods for years, both competitors. And uh, one was four weeks into a reverse diet. She had her first period in a year and a half. And the other was five or six weeks into a reverse diet. She had her first period in three, three weeks, she, or three years. She didn't even realize she was having it. She had it went that long of a period of time without it that when she got the signs and symptoms wow. of the period, she came to me that she was having bloating and digestive issues, but she had already let me know that she hadn't had her period for years. So we thought that was off the table. So after a week, you know, I'm like, all right, let's go get blood work, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, she reached out to me midweek, you know, in between her check-ins and said, Brandon, you'll never believe this. I don't know why I didn't think about it. I think we both didn't think about it because we had already discarded that as being even a possibility for me at this point. Yeah. But I had my first period in years. So that's something I'm asking about. I'm looking at digestion, like I mentioned previously. And then I'm also looking at ability to adhere to the plan. So there are times, and this is also person dependent and client dependent, where, you know, what's optimal and what's appropriate are two different things. So if I'm looking at a competitor and they have very large goals, you know, I'm going to do what's optimal for them because I know that their goals are going to drive them to be adherent. With my gen population clients, Sometimes I have to look at their ability to adhere just as much as I look at to what's optimal for them. So a lot of times I'll look at it and I'll say, all right, well, generally based off your biofeedback, I would increase hundred calories this week, or I would increase you know, 25 grams of carbs and five grams of fat. But A, you know, this client comes to me and says, you know, I, I really need more carbs. You know, I love carbs. I'm missing this so-and-so meal or this, you know, food source. 
And also I'm fi finding it really hard to stick to this caloric allotment. My hunger is really high. That's where I'm going to say, all right, well, 100 might have been optimal for your rate of gain, but I'm going to go with 200 because I would rather overshoot and make sure that you have a sufficient amount of calories to appease you and, and keep you adherence to the diet this week than for me to keep you at that 100 calorie increase. And then you binge without telling me on another date and undo, essentially increase that, that surplus even more than we would if I just went 100 calories more. So those are all the considerations. So you guys should really be paying attention. It should be a multi-pronged approach to reverse dieting. This is something that it's all encompassing. If you hear, I'm not just talking about macros and micros. I'm not just talking about X and O's and nutrition. I'm talking about your lifestyle. I'm talking about your stress management. I'm talking about different aspects, you know, your mood. Um, if things that would impact your, your relationships, your interactions, your ability to function both in the gym and out of the gym, because, you know, it's all well and good to look at just the context of your training performance and your nutrition and making sure you hit your macros and your sets and reps. But if you can't function as a normal human being outside of the hour or two that you're in the gym, you're never going to sustain this lifestyle. Yeah. And last topic I want to get into is um, what are the, the top tips for nailing your reverse diet? I know you just went into a bunch of different things about, I think the biggest one is one of them is like you said, this, the stress management part of it. I think that will, I think that's probably the most hidden part of any sort of physique development is the stress management. So I always, no matter what, to nailing anything with diet and everything, I always say stress is always number one. <laughs> 100%. I think that's something that's, that's starting to get more limelight in our industry, but it was something that was so neglected in coaching years ago. Uh, you know, I, I've been doing this a long time and I remember the days where you would go to a, a very, you know, well known and, and very successful coach. And they would only ask you, did you hit your calories this week? Did, what were your macros? And what was your training like? And it was so one-sided that it didn't, you know, it discounted all the other 22 hours of my day that could have been the, the bottleneck that was keeping me back from really reaching my goals and really seeing the results that I wanted to see. So that's, that's one thing we have to consider stress. My biggest thing for nailing your reverse diet, you need to plan ahead. So like I said, this is a diet after the diet. So you have to plan for it. Don't let it induce anxiety in you, but know that just because you finished the diet, you, you got on stage or you, you completed a successful photo shoot or you got to your goal body fat percentage or body weight, the process is not done. And that's not something to be discouraged about or to be anxious about. Realize that this is another phase in your, your progression in your journey. So plan ahead, realize that there are things that need to be done to reverse what you did within the diet. Um, you need to maintain a lot of the positive eating and training habits that you implemented and developed during the diet itself. So a lot of times what I see is people develop a lot of strategies, a lot of positive structure and, and routines to their day when they're dieting, and they almost completely you know, discard that. They get rid of it following a diet, and they wonder why, A, they lose motivation, and B, that they start, they all of a sudden lose the results that they took so long to gain. And if you just keep some of that same structure to your day, whether it be your fasted cardio or your, 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 um, your personal development habits, a lot of times people will advance so many other aspects of their lives besides just the physical components when they're doing something that benefits the physical. So when you're in a diet, you're tracking your food, you know, you're trying to make yourself an overall better individual. You should maintain those habits year round, regardless of what phase of your training or nutrition you're in. Um, you need to track all the variables possible. I always say this, I say this to my clients, I say this to my friends, you cannot manage what is not measured. So you need to take into consideration that the things that you're able to track and write down are going to be the biggest determinant of what will ensure that you get the results you want. If you were looking, let's look at it from a financial aspect. 
if you had a goal to, to buy a house and you needed you know, $50,000 to make a down payment, you would track your income and your, you know, your income from a, a salary perspective and also your savings on a month or weekly or monthly basis. We all work for a certain amount of money. I'm very sure that there's very few people that are listening to this podcast right now that don't know how much they make. And if they are someone that makes commission-based or whatever it may be, they're looking at their account week in and week out. You should be doing the same thing with your nutrition. If you don't track your calories and your macros and, and your weight and, and different things like how you feel, it can be qualitative, meaning like subjective markers. How do I feel today? How is my sleep? Or it could be quantitative measures like numbers. You could take and use a Fitbit to track steps. You track your calories. You use my fitness pal. You use chronometer to track your micronutrients and macronutrients. You use an aura ring to track your sleep. There are so many things. I'm not saying get caught in the minutia, but track as many things that are going to benefit you. If weight is something that's very important to you, track your weight. Don't become obsessed with it, but don't completely throw out the scale at the end of your diet and expect you to stay you know, true to your plan. The other thing is you need to pay attention to biofeedback. You need to pay attention to how you feel and realize that that is going to be the biggest determining factor of what adjustments should be made. There is nothing that is set in stone, like I said previously. Don't just think that I'm going to follow this generic template. And that's why there's so many issues in this industry with cookie cutter coaches that just give a one size fits all program that might work for five out of 10 people. But what, what about that other 50% that it doesn't work for? You need to take an individualized approach, whether you work with yourself or you work with a coach. If you notice a coach is giving you the same exact increments week in and week out, regardless if your feedback's different. I'm not trying to call coaches out on this. If you give the same feedback every week, you don't change your check-in form. You send him the same thing every week with the same photos. That's one thing. But if you're giving him different subjective feedback, hey, coach, this week, my energy's up. This week, my energy's down. I feel bloated in this. And you're getting the same exact adjustments week in and week out. Okay, increased carbs, 20 to 5 grams. Increased carbs, 25 grams. That's not the plan for you. That's not paying attention to your biofeedback. That's not what's going to be best for your physiology. Um, you need to stay objective about your rate of gain and progress. Realize that there are so many factors that have to be taken into consideration, especially with weight regain. Like I said previously, you need to pay attention to the scale, but not become obsessed with it. The scale is a great indicator and tracker of one metric of progress. You need to look at your training performance. You need to look at your progress photos. There are so many other aspects of reverse diet that you need to take into consideration. The scale weight is so heavily influenced by other factors. Water retention. We have to think about if we increase carbohydrate consumption, that with that, for every gram of carbohydrates comes three to four grams of water. So you're going to pull in more water retention. So there are certain people that are hyper responders that are going to, you know, hyper responders to um, reverse dieting that are going to get a huge increase in meat. They're going to lose water retention from a, a lowering of cortisol because they took an influx of carbohydrates. They're actually going to lose water retention. But there's others that are going to be holding more water just due to the fact that they took in higher carbohydrates or you took in more fibrous veggies. So you have more food content, you know, food volume within your stomach that's going to cause the scale to look different or to be heavier. So be objective about those things and keep those things in, in mind when you're making adjustments. But this is a process. No one week makes or breaks your progress in a reverse diet. If you see that your rate of gain has increased too much and you've been you know, head on with everything, you haven't slipped up, back off a little bit. Or instead of making another adjustment, nothing is set in stone where it says where every single week you have to increase your calories on a reverse diet. There are many times with my clients that I'll say, all right, you know what? I was looking for a 0.25 to 0.5 rate of gain this week, but you're at 1%. Let's keep the calories where they're at and let's let your metabolism and your metabolic capacity catch up with where your calories are at. 
and we keep the nutrition plan the same. And then the other things are just focus on the future and maintain adherence and stay consistent. Those are the biggest things in anything in nutrition, but especially in reverse dieting, because what we're really looking to is to get back to our maintenance caloric threshold and maintenance is insecticide. You know what I mean? Everyone, you know, when you're, you're gaining muscle, it's great. When you're losing body fat, it's great. But maintenance is something that it's, it's an area that a lot of people try to avoid because it isn't as rewarding, but it is something that you need to go into. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, Everybody, you literally just got a home run of an episode. Um, you just got reverse dieting 101. That's what I'm probably going to name this episode. Um, before you go, Brandon, um, if people are new to the podcast and didn't listen to the first episode that you were on, um, where could people find you? Um, and also, I actually want to shout out his podcast, Every Calorie Counts. Um, I listened to it the other day. Uh, with my man Marco, I was actually a big fan of him when he was in bodybuilding. <laughs> um, so uh, shout out to that podcast. But where can people find you on Instagram and coaching and stuff like that? All right. So for Instagram, you guys can find me at Brandon DeCruz underscore. And then for any coaching inquiries or even questions, I take questions through through um, emails as well. You can get me at thedecruzfitness at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, as always, um, I just allow, I just allow Brandon to speak because he has a ton of knowledge. I don't, I ever have questions. I just ask. Um, but if you guys could do us a favor, one thing I want you guys to do is, uh, either take a screenshot of you listening, tag us on Instagram, um, leave a five-star rating on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, yeah. So everybody, uh, Thank you, Brandon, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, Absolutely. for listening to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast.